welcome to our hot adult workshop. Uh, hope you enjoyed your kid food because after this talk you're going to be adults officially. Um, so we have some great guest speakers. Uh, we're very fortunate to have some young adults in the Chicago community come to speak about four aspects of adulting. Um, first we'll have health and then we'll do finance. Um, we'll have a little bit of faith and then finally we'll do work kind of work and professionalism. Um, so it should be a good time. So yeah, so we're going to start off with health. And what we'll do is each presenter will go, and then we'll have a little bit of time of Q&A before the next presenter comes. So we're hoping this will be pretty interactive. So bring your questions. Um, now's the time to figure out how to do this thing called adulting. So without further ado, we'll have our first speaker, and they'll introduce themselves as they come up here to give their presentation. Hi, everyone. Can everyone hear me? Yeah, can you guys hear me? I'm Dr. Fulmer. Uh, I uh, want to thank Becca for inviting me. She asked me to talk on two things. A, health insurance, and B, uh, how to find a doctor. Both are big tasks to do as an adult, and I think we get really uh, confused by words, right? There's a whole bunch of, it's like a whole legal jargon that you hear when it, you talk about health insurance and now there's a law that's saying that you need health insurance or you're gonna get uh, docked on your taxes. And so I'm gonna introduce you to a couple terms that you need to know that will help you choose the proper insurance for yourself and kind of give you some ideas of what that means and what that could be for you financially. So this kind of ties in financially as well. But then I'm also gonna to talk to you about how to find a doctor as well and the importance of that as well. So uh, let's talk about a few terms. The first one that you need to know is premium. So premium is the payments you make to your insurance uh, provider to keep your coverage. And these are payments that you're going to make uh, either quarterly or annually or you might, if you have your insurance through an employer, they usually will take it out of your paycheck and you won't even know it. So your premium, think about it as a car loan or a lease, okay? This is what you would pay every month to keep your car. This is your insurance, right? So this is what you pay to keep your insurance. So this is kind of like your base rate that you're going to pay um, every month or every two weeks, depending on how your paycheck's set up. Now, you can set up insurance on your own if, you don't, if you're self-employed or you're unemployed or you don't, your job doesn't offer insurance or other opportunities for you as well to create your own insurance. So think about this as your car loan, all right? So the next one, uh, co-payment or copay. most people are here, you've heard this word copay, right? So what does that actually mean? So this is the amount of money that you pay to, if you come see me, uh, I'm an ER doctor, so hopefully you don't come see me that often, but if you come see me, uh, you would have to pay, depending on what insurance you have, you would have to pay a fee to me for coming to see me. So think about this as if we go back to our car loan, so you have your car, you're paying your monthly car loan payments, but who pays for the gas and oil changes? That's you, right? So if you have your car and you wanna drive around, you're responsible for the gas. So if you use your insurance, you're gonna to have to pay. Now, not every insurance plan makes you have a copay, but depending on which insurance you have, you might have to do a copay. Um, like I said, not everyone is going to have that, and sometimes you have a max. 
If you do so many copay payments or you come to a certain amount, then you're done for the year. Um, that rolls into what we're gonna talk about next is just deductible, but I'll bring that up in just a second. So deductible is the third term that you have to know. So we did premium, copay, and deductible, all right? So these are the three big players in insurance that you have to know. So what is deductible, right? So deductible is the amount you pay for your healthcare services before your insurance pays. This is where people get in trouble really easily, especially young professionals. Uh, this is the one you have to watch, okay? So deductibles are based on your benefit period. So usually benefits go for an entire year. You sign up for a year contract for your insurance. So let's say you guys graduate in July and you got an awesome job that you're gonna start in August. Well, there is an open enrollment period that you have missed because that's usually in December, November, December. But you can pick a plan and you'll be on that plan until December then you'll go back through open enrollment and pick a new plan. So you can pick a plan once a year from, through most employers and you're kind of stuck with that plan throughout the year. When it comes back around to open enrollment, which we're in right now, so you might see commercials for open enrollment, that is referring to, okay, you can change your plan right now, depending, and that'll go into effect January 1st and you'll have a new plan. Does that make sense, kind of, if you follow me? Okay. Uh, so deductibles can be high or low. And this is where you guys gotta be careful and where you can get in trouble. So you come out of college, you have lots of student debt, you wanna make lots of money, and so you go to your new job and you pick a plan that has low premiums, meaning you don't have to take much out of your paycheck, and you're like, that's awesome, I get more money that you're not taking away from me. But with a low premium usually means you're gonna have a high deductible. So what that means is, is that your insurance, since you're not paying very much into it, if you use the services, you have to pay a whole bunch of money. So let's say you go home for Thanksgiving and you get appendicitis and you had a $10,000 deductible. Now you are stuck with that $10,000 bill uh, So you until your insurance picks up after the $10,000. So an appendicitis could cost you $20,000. You could be stuck with $10,000 of that if you pick a low premium, high deductible plan. So my advice to you is pick a deductible that if worst case scenario, you might have to pay it all at one time, you can, it will not put you financially in straits, that dire straits that you're able to pay for that. So be careful. You want to find a happy medium where you're taking, you're, you're doing some of your premiums are covered some of your deductible costs too. Because the higher deductible is, the more you're going to be responsible for on the upfront. Okay? So that can get you in trouble. So be careful. All right. So there are two big insurance plans, right, that you hear of. You hear PPO and HMO. Have you heard these terms before? All right. So let's talk about what these actually mean. And, I'll show, and I'm going to show you side by side kind of the pros and cons to each of these, okay? So an HMO is a health maintenance organization, okay? What that means is, is they're a group of an insurance, uh, they're an insurance agency, and the pros to having an HMO is that you usually have low premiums, okay? So it's going to be lower costs for you overall. And they don't have a deductible either, so that sounds good, right? So now you don't have to pay a lot, and you, don't have, you might not have to put a lot out of your own pocket. Here's the kind of con to that though. I call it the gatekeeper approach. The, you're, they might assign you a primary care physician as your doctor and you have to go to that specific doctor because it's the one in your insurance plan. 
if you say you have been having acid reflux and you really want to go see a gastroenterologist on Thanksgiving break, you actually have to go back to your primary care physician and get a referral. You cannot go to the GI doctor without going to your primary care first. They're the gatekeeper. They're the ones that allow you to get all your referrals to whatever you might want. Dermatology, to gastroenterology, to maybe you need surgery. All those have to go through your primary care. If you decide to go to your, like, your home, your parents are like, hey, you really should get this stomach thing looked at while you're home, and you go to a provider that wasn't covered under your HMO and you didn't go to your primary first, you can get stuck with that entire bill. So that's not a happy Thanksgiving or Christmas for you. Um, they will cover you for emergency situations. So you have insurance and you need to go to the close, you go over here to UIC or Cook County or Rush uh, because you, you have appendicitis. That's covered even if it wasn't by your hospital, this uh, by your insurance plan. HMOs will specify which hospital you can go to as well. So those are the cons and the pros of it. Low cost, but they're a little more directed on where you can go and say what you can do. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, the gatekeeper, right? All right, so the PPO plan, so this is the, uh, this is the preferred provider plan. I call this the vending machine plan, okay? You get what you want, when you want, but it's gonna cost you a little bit more, okay? So there's no referrals needed. So if you decide, yeah, and my stomach's been really bothering me for a long time, and I'm, it takes me like three months to get into my primary care, I'm just gonna go get a GI. As long as they accept your insurance, you're free to go. You don't need anyone to tell you that you wanna go. So you can make up your own mind if you decide you wanna do that. They will also cover you if you decide to go to a GI doctor that might not be covered by your plan, but they're like, since you went there, we'll at least pay half of it for you. They do have higher premiums though. This costs you more, but you get more freedom to do what you want. They also usually have a deductible, so you're gonna have to pay a deductible up front as well. And your deductible could be $1,000, it could be $10,000. But once you do that, you'll hear people say, oh, it doesn't matter if I go to the hospital again, I've already paid my deductible. So once you've met your deductible for the year, then you can kind of go as much as you want because you've already maxed that out, okay? Does that make sense? So we have the vending machine and we have the gatekeepers, right? So here they are side by side just to kind of refresh your mind. You have the low premiums, low deductible, gatekeeper approach of they kind of have to tell you where you go and it's a little more limited. Or you have the vending machine where you get to pick and choose what you want to do uh, but it's gonna cost you a little more out of pocket. Questions on HML PPL? I'm trying to make this as exciting as possible. I know it's an <laughs> awful topic. All right, so how many people have heard of COBRA insurance? Cobra insurance? Has anybody used Cobra insurance? Yeah, okay, my wife has. Um, so Cobra insurance, I actually just learned this myself. It actually stands for uh, Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1988. This was Ronald Reagan, it was written into a bill. It basically said that if something bad happens to you at work, you can have short-term coverage. This is what this is. And so this is short-term insurance coverage. Um, I put the Cobra up here because I want you to think bad, okay? If you need to use this, that's great. You don't wanna be on this long-term, okay? The reason it was developed is, let's say you work for a company and then they say, oh, we're gonna lay off a bunch of people because our profits were cut, so we're gonna lay you off. 
Well, they, these big companies have to pay into Cobra and then that turnaround, you can use this insurance, okay? And because when you get a new job, you usually can't get insurance for 120 days, sometimes it's 90 days. There are very few jobs when you start the first day that you can get insurance right away. So if you're transitioning from one job and you're, you get laid off and you're trying to get another job, you can use COBRA to protect you. Especially if you have a family, you wanna use this to protect you. Unfortunately, it's gonna cost you a lot. They have very high premiums, it's not cheap, and they have very high deductibles. You can end up being responsible for 102 percent of the entire plan. They can actually charge you more if you use all the money within the plan. So think Cobra, it's there if you need it, but you don't want to use it if you don't have to. Okay? It's there for a reason. Alright, so now you want to pick your own insurance. You you need to search the internet. You need to find what you want to do. Let's say you're self-employed. How do I or your job doesn't offer you insurance? So I screenshot this today from healthcare.gov. All right, this is an official government website that you put in your state, you put in your zip code, and it will tell you people who are in the exchange or people who will help you with the exchange. So if you, wanna, if you think you're smart enough and you think you can do this on your own and you wanna try to do it, you can go and find a place where you can see all the insurances that are listed in your state, in your area, HMOs, PPOs, the premiums, whatnot. Uh, and the exchanges were made so that it's cheaper for you. Because if you go into individual policy, it's gonna be very pricey. If you're in a big group, it's cheaper for you. So the exchanges are there so that you can join a group. Um, so this is here for you, any state you're in, you can use this and get insurance and find out what's out there. All right, uh, so now you have insurance and now you need to go to the doctor. Turns out you all should be going to the doctor at least once a year, it's really true. Uh, so how do you find a doctor? Five things for you to do to find the doctor you want to do, right? First is determine which doctor is in network for you, right? So whether you have HMO or PPO, you want to make sure they're in network because you don't want to go to a doctor that you're going to end up having to pay a lot of money to go see. Even if you like that doctor, that's not, that's not fun for you. It's less likely that you're going to go if you have to pay more for it. So find a doctor who meets your expert or that expertise meets your health needs. Uh, where I work, there are 83 languages spoken in an eight-block radius of where I work, and so we have a lot of physicians that speak specific languages. That might be important to you and your family, or religious beliefs that might be important to you as well. So it kind of goes hand in hand with three. Ask referrals. Ask your friends. Get on Yelp. There are Yelp reviews for doctors, so you can figure out Talk to your friends, talk to your family, like, hey, did you like this physician? Did you not like this physician? Get online. You can know you guys are very well versed in how Yelp works, so you can read through the good comments, the bad comments, and kind of make up your own mind of what you think, but ask for referrals. And then think about logistics. If you are here at UIC, I don't want you don't I don't want you to have a physician in Evanston. That doesn't make sense for you to have a doctor in Evanston when you're down here. It's gonna take you by train an hour plus to get there. That's not worth it for you. So get someone that is close to you as well. I understand that maybe it's closer to your work and you wanna set up so that when you go to work that you have an appointment right after work or before work. But think logistically as well that it's gonna make it easy for you to get to them one way or the other as well. And lastly, go to the doctor, okay? You should be going to the doctor at least once a year. I, unfortunately, in my job, I have people that don't go to the doctor and then they come to me when they've waited too long to go to the doctor. Questions, I know that was a lot and I try to make it as not as 
complicated as possible. Remember, it's like car insurance, premiums and deductibles, high premium, low deductible, low premium, probably more higher deductible, but make sure that you pick a deductible. If worst case scenario, you have to pay it at all at once, you can, it won't put you in a place that financially you're, you've put yourself in a bad spot. Questions about finding a doctor or health insurance? No? Yeah. Let's say you are looking for a primary care physician. Yes. You go to a doctor that you found on Yelp. Okay. And then if you don't like it, do you can you just not go again and then just go somewhere else? You or got are there to. rules about when you can switch the way they are with So it depends on which insurance plan you have. So if you are on a PPO, you can just go to another one. Okay. If you're on an HMO, you hopefully you're in an area like Chicago's nice because even if you belong to an HMO, there's usually five or six providers pretty close to you that use that insurance. Yeah. Uh, but you have to request your insurance to change that. Yeah. So you actually have to contact and be like, I want a new primary care. So PPO, yes, is really easy to do. HMO, you can do it, it's just a little bit harder. But I recommend you do that. You wanna be happy. If you're not happy with your physician, don't go to them. Uh, we are graded by Press Ganey. Uh, like we get reviews, like we send out surveys to you and if we're not doing well, we can get fired. So if you're not happy with your physician, go to someone else. Like it's your healthcare, you have to be your advocate. And if you're not happy with that physician, you should go to someone else. Any more? All awake still? No? Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Is everyone still with us here? Now we're gonna move on to finance. So, um, I'm gonna be speaking about finances and in particular today, we're gonna talk about how to create a budget. Um, so can anyone guess what America's number one stressor is? Finances. Money, yes. Uh, <laughs> so pretty easy question, but it is. America's number one stressor right now, um, according to surveys, is money and finances. So first we have to ask the question, why should we budget? Um, so essentially a budget, I like to think of it as a roadmap for where your money is going to go. So it helps you document what your income is and also look at what your expenses are. So essentially making sure you're not um, expending more money than you're taking in. So according to surveys, only about one-third of all households live by a strict budget, um, which is pretty fascinating considering budgeting really makes your life easier in terms of managing your money and seeing what's coming in and what's going out. Um, but only one-third of households right now are living by a strict budget. And so some common reasons to create a budget include it increases your savings because you're able to see how much is coming in, how much you're expending, and how much can you save. Um, reduces overspending. You make sure that your spending reflects your goals and your values and where your money is going. It helps you avoid spending money that you don't have, which is a common problem. It helps eliminate debt and also tracks your long-term financial goals, which are very important. Um, so I have two very broad um, types of budget that I want to talk about right now. And so these two types of budgets are a zero-based budget and a 50-30-20 budget. So let me go into those a little bit more. Um, so our zero-based budget was actually created and um, promoted by a radio show host and businessman, Dave 
Ramsey, who's written a lot of books about this topic. And with a zero-based budget, essentially your income minus your outflow equals zero dollars. So essentially every dollar that you have is assigned a particular job, and some of these dollars is gonna go into your savings, and the rest is gonna be assigned to different spending categories. Um, so this type of budget can be pretty restrictive, but it helps overall with avoiding to overspend, um, and it helps you meet goals, including debt repayment. <coughs> That's a zero-based budget. So your income minus your outflow equals zero dollars. A 50-30-20 budget is a little bit different, um, and this was created by Senator Elizabeth Warren. And essentially, 50% of income is for your needs, such as rent, food, transportation, or minimum payments on your debt. 30% is for wants, so trips or entertainment things. Um, and then 20% is going to go towards savings. So 50% for needs, 30% for wants, and 20% for your savings. Um, and this type of budget is pretty flexible, but it can be kind of irresponsible. Um, irresponsible spending could be possible with this kind of budget. Those are two very broad types of budgets. Um, and some tips for budgeting. So number one, you want to determine your income. So you need to figure out what am I getting in terms of an income. So this could be your regular salary, um, how much you're getting paid, um, or even other income sources, so garage sales, gifts, uh, stipends, things like that. So you have to determine your income first. Second, you have to calculate your expenses. So how much are you spending, what are you spending it on, etc. Third, you want to set savings and debt payoff goals. So if you're spending more than you're making, it's probably safe to say that you need to cut it. Um, but insignificant items, such as a cup of coffee, can add up over time. So to use an example, if you spend about $5 a week on snacks, that adds up to $260 a year, which is not insignificant if you think about overall yearly costs. And that's just $5 a week. So. Um, you want to set these goals um, in terms of paying off your debt, which is really helpful. And fourth tip um, for budgeting is record all of your spending and track your progress. Um, so you really want to work on recording all of your expenses and income. Uh, so looking at your receipts, um, credit card, bank statements, etc., and just listing it all out so you know what is uh, what am I bringing in in terms of income and what am I spending my money on. So there's different ways you can do this. Um, there's a spreadsheet approach, which we're actually going to do an interactive and make someone's budget in a few minutes. Um, but there's also apps out there that are really good in terms of creating a budget. So there's one called Mint uh, that some people have heard about. Yep. Um, Dollar Bird is another one, and Pocket Guard is another. And it actually links your credit card and your bank statement, so it creates your budget without you having to do a lot of work. It kind of automatically does it for you. So I know that was a lot in a really short amount of time, but I wanted um, a majority of my presentation to actually be interactive, so we're gonna create a fake budget for someone so you guys can see how this works practically. So, okay, so this is, we're kind of gonna be doing more of the zero balance budget approach. Yeah, the zero-based budget. Um, but this is a sample of using an Excel spreadsheet for your budget. So we'll start out with this person's budget. So I'll zoom in a little bit so you guys can see. 
So what I've done, this is actually very close to the budget that I do. And I've just gotten in the habit of opening up my budget on Fridays and kind of balancing my checkbook, if you will, by adding in all my expenses and income um, every Friday. So every Friday, I log on to my budget and add everything up. And obviously, there's some Fridays I forget, so I have to do another day. But I've just gotten in the habit of trying to do this every Friday, which could be something that you could develop, too. Okay, so what we want to do first is um, determine this person's monthly paycheck. So does someone want to give me a number? <laughs> All right, so let's say their salary, and then we'll divide it by 12. So what, what do we want their salary to be? 50K. Okay, 50K. So 50K divided by 12 is what? 4,200. Okay, so important thing to notice here is I say after taxes. So you will have some taxes that are going to come out. Um, so we said, what, 4,200? So we're going to say, I mean, this is a very rough thing, we'll say there's about $200 in taxes that come out. So at the end of the day, this person, we should name this person, what's this person's name? Bob. Bob? Okay, I heard Bob first. So Bob, <laughs> we'll go with Bob. Okay, so Bob um, has a 50k salary, but after taxes, he's getting about 4000 a month after taxes. So we'll add 4000 here. Okay. So now we're going to skip a few categories because this is going to determine where Bob can live. So we're going to go to some other things that he has to pay, um, which I'm going to get my notes for, before we can determine what kind of living arrangement Bob can have. Okay, so uh, we have utilities. So based off my own experience with utilities and some other friends' experience, we'll say utilities, which, which includes everything, electricity, water, sewage, etc., we'll say is about $100 per month. Okay. Um, internet, so Bob really wants a high-speed internet plan, so we'll put maybe about $75 for internet. As you can see, the number is slowly going down of how much he has left. Um, phone, we'll skip down to phone. Uh, anyone want to give me a number for a phone monthly? 50. About 50? Okay, I heard 50 first, so we'll say Bob has a smartphone with data, and he's paying about $50 per month. Um, let's go to gas and car. Yeah, so how much do we want to budget for gas and car? Like 100? Okay. $100. So he's not driving a lot, but he is driving, so he needs some money for that. Uh, we'll go for health, dental, disability, retirement. So this is going to come out of his monthly paycheck, um, but we'll do about 125 for that. Yeah, cheap. Cheap. HMO plan here after hearing that presentation. <laughs> Bob wants an HMO plan. Okay. Um, and then car renter's insurance, he's getting some discounts here and there, so we'll do about 60 there. See, I'm pretty cheap plans, basic plans. Okay, so now we have some fun we can play along with this. So now that 4,000 is slowly dwindling, we have 3,490 left. Um, and we have a few more categories left. So, Bob has a lot of student loans, so he's gonna have to start paying off his student loans. Um, does anyone wanna give me a number how much he wants to be paying off his student loans? 200, yeah, I'd probably say it's probably about 200, 250 a month. So we'll do 250. So it's not bad, okay? Now the last few categories are flexible. So we have savings, because we want to make sure there's some savings. 
uh, each month. We have fun category. So Bob wants to have some fun city of Chicago, so we need to put some money there. And then we have food category. So these are interesting in that these can be changed at any time, and they're a little bit more flexible. Um, but we also still have rent that we have to pay, and our rent's slowly going down. So anyone want to give me a number for, let's start with, for what? <laughs> okay. We'll do 750. So he's going to have roommates. 750. Yeah? Okay. We'll do 750. So 750 says rent. He's going to have roommates live in a decent place in the city. Food? How much does Bob eat? A lot of food. <laughs> okay, give me a number for food. So Bob likes to go out and eat a lot. So 200 would probably be Bob not really going out to eat a lot. All right, we'll do 450. Bob likes to go out and eat in Chicago a lot. Okay, 450. So now we have savings and fun. So how much fun do we want Bob to have? <laughs> How much fun do you want Bob to have? No. 400? He likes to play a lot. 400? Okay. Yeah. So 400 is about 10% of his overall. That's a good point. Does Bob have a girlfriend? That might, that might go up. That's very true. Alright, well we'll add, we'll add to the savings and then we'll go back and figure it out. Okay, so we still have a lot of money left, so Bob could ideally be spending a lot. So let's say Bob is really smart with this money and he's going to put $1,000 in savings every paycheck, okay? Anyway, just imagine that, I'll take it out. Alright, imagine the $1,000 left. I don't know why it's not messing that up. So we have about 640 left, okay? We'll put that here so you remember. Okay, so about 640 left. So he has some wiggle room. He can keep that and have a little bit excess each time, or he can add it to other categories that he wants to. So do we want Bob to have a girlfriend? That's the biggest question. <laughs> so we can put this up at 600. Okay, so now he's about 440. Uh, Bob could decide that he wants to live on his own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you can get a bigger apartment. So let's say 1200 Yeah, he can tie. So we'll go back. We'll go back to 750 Yeah, that's a good point. So we should, we should have added an extra category for donation. Yep. So we'll do donation. How much do we do? Anyway, so does everyone understand how this works? Okay, so that's your monthly overall. Now what we do is go to your expenses per month. So let's change this to November instead of May. Okay, so this is what your monthly expense report could look like. Um, so essentially you would come in, say on a Friday, like I do, and say, okay, on November 1st, I bought gas, and it was about $229.50, so I'd add it under transportation. I, uh, November 2nd, I made a payment on my student loans, and I only did about $100, so it was an excess payment to put that under loans. I went to the grocery store to Jewel and paid about $93. 
I made a deposit. Maybe you got excess money from giving a talk somewhere. It was like 160 bucks. You put that in your deposits, and then you transferred money to your savings. So you could put that here. <laughs> Essentially, you would itemize everything and just put in what you're bringing in, um, but also what you're spending. And you'd write it all down here and then categorize it out. Does that make sense? So we'll just do one for the heck of it. Um, so what is one item that we want to give? All right, let's go with this Bob's girlfriend thing. So maybe he took her to dinner. Where did he take her? So, okay, Tuscany. So how much did, how much did they spend? Hundred. Okay. So Bob went to Tuscany. So we put location Tuscany, and then we go under food, and we put a hundred. And so the nice thing about this budget is it totals the bottom. So now we can look back at our monthly budget to say is this lining up. So right now Bob has hundred and ninety three dollars that he spent based on what he's brought in. So we go back to our food, he has about 450, so he has a little bit of wiggle room now for the rest of the month, although not too much. If it's only, what is it, November 2nd, they put that in? No, November 6th. Yeah, so November 6th, we're still early in the month, and he only has a little bit left to spend on food, so he has to be a little bit cautious now about what he spends. So is this all making sense? Okay, are there any questions? Okay, perfect, that's budgeting. Now, we're going to move forward with faith. All right. So, um, I was told I'm giving a talk on how to get involved at your parish, which is interesting. Um, so, I guess the first question is, why would anyone want to get involved in their parish? Why would you want to get involved? You guys are involved at this parish. Why, why do we come here? Any thoughts? Or a sense of community? Free food? <laughs> For what? Spiritual, uh, Spiritual enrichment? Yes. Okay. All right. Any, uh, any other reasons, any other thoughts? Food, spiritual enrichment, community? Um, Socialization. Social, meeting new people, making friends. These are all really great reasons to get involved at a parish. So we love Jesus. There you go. That's probably the most important reason. So you guys are involved at a really great Newman Center, with a really great parish, with a lot of great things going on, but what happens once we graduate and head out into the scary world where we don't know anybody any longer, and maybe we move to a new city, and uh, we're looking to find a community again. So uh, that's sort of what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, is how to get involved once we get out of college, once we kind of... Huh? You were supposed to give me a wonderful introduction. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so my name is Martin Sellers, and I am uh, I am involved. I don't know <laughs> who am I. Um, so uh, I, I've been in Chicago seven years, um, and uh, I, I moved to the city new. I didn't know anybody, and uh, ha, I'm where am I from? I'm from Nebraska. <laughs> And uh, I, I went to the University of Nebraska, which also had a really great Newman Center, just like this one. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I kind of had the same experience you guys had, where I had a really awesome community in college, um, and then kind of left and was thrust out in the world and had to sort of find another community, another church community. So yeah, so these are great reasons to get involved. We're looking to make friends. We're looking for free food. We're looking for Jesus. Um, yeah, so. 
I guess um, I wish someone had given this talk to me when I was in college because uh, when I left school, when I kind of got out there, I was sort of expecting the same things, right? I, I was looking for a community that could benefit me like, like what was given to me while I was in college. I was looking for what can I get out of a parish? What can I get out of a community? Um, what's the music like? You know, what's the young adult ministry like? Are there cool people there? You know, that type of thing. Are there friendly people there? These are really good questions to ask, but um, I would posit those those are not the right questions to ask. <laughs> uh, so I was asking those questions for a while when I first came to Chicago, and what, what ended up happening was I, I moved here, um, started grad school, and um, you know, I made a lot of friends in my program, uh, but eventually I got to the point where I was looking for people that maybe thought similar to me, had similar values, uh, were interested in, in church. And uh, so I started seeking out various communities in Chicago. I started going to different young adult ministry events. Um, and I noticed I would kind of show up by myself and nobody would really talk to me. And I would kind of stand there and it was awkward and I hated it and then I would listen to the talk and then I'd escape as quickly as I could and never want to come back. Um, so I thought, oh, well this community is just not very welcoming so I'm going to try the one down the street. And uh, same experience, you know, a lot of people were seeing kind of clicky and, you know, and uh, so I, I, I just got really frustrated and um, eventually got some good advice to change my thinking and so that's what I'm going to tell you guys for when you kind of get out of the college zone. Rather than looking for the perfect community, I think the question we need to ask ourselves is what can I give back to this community? So when I started thinking that way, um, I, I started getting involved. I started asking around at various places, various communities, you know, what, what do you need? What, what can I help with? I could volunteer here and there and what I noticed was, um, as I started to kind of take more ownership of the place where I was, um, I started to meet people in a capacity that wasn't like, you know, showing up to a talk and maybe making some small talk for 10 minutes, you know, and then never seeing another, that person again. I started to make some deeper friendships as I started to invest myself in a place. Um, so, so my talk is, you know, how do we do that? How do we get invested in a place, right? So. A lot of you guys are invested here. Um, so how, how have you guys become invested here? What do you, how, what's that been like here for some of you guys that are really involved? Any thoughts? Becca, you're involved, how are you invested? You work here, you're forced. Um, yeah, so I mean, liturgical ministers, you know, that type of thing. Some other group Bible studies. Yeah, so these are really great. Um, so yeah, so once I start asking that question, once I start thinking about like, you know, how can I give back? You know, okay, maybe you want to, maybe you have that desire now, but like where do you go from there? You're, you know, in my case, I was in a new city. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how to get involved. So um, here are a couple of good suggestions. So uh, there are a lot of churches out there. There's a lot of church ministries and they all need help. <laughs> with a lot of different things, you know, maybe it's um, helping out in the choir, maybe it's teaching catechesis, maybe it's, uh, you know, leading a small group study. Um, maybe you've got other skill sets, like you're really good with budgeting 
and you can help you know plan budgets in the parish or help the parish with its finances that type of thing so um here would be my suggestion i think i think what i had to learn was you know first of all what are what are my gifts what am i good at um you know the holy spirit endows us with different charisms um so i have a i have a sheet i'm going to pass around which is take one and pass it here so this sheet has a list of many different charisms that we spiritual charisms that we could be invested in uh, invested with um, some of these are you know the gift of knowledge the gift of leadership uh, gift of music um, gift of, of pastoring intercessory prayer hospitality so I think if we spend some time in reflection thinking about okay what what am I really good at what are my gifts that's a really really good starting point because um, once you can kind of get a sense of that you can then take the next next step for me I you know I discovered I was I was good at administration, like I was good at motivating people. <laughs> I was good at, uh, you know, keeping things in order. Um, I'm a good budgeter, so you know, I, would, I would be good at your, your skill set there too. Uh, so once I kind of figured out um, the things I was good with, the skills I had, um, I then went to the pastor of my parish and I asked him. You know, I came to him with a list of things I'm good at, you know. Uh, and I said, you know, what, how can I use these gifts? So if you go to your parish pastor and you ask him, and you say to him, these are my gifts, how can you use me? He's going to put you to work. <laughs> so that's a good suggestion. Now, he may put you in a ministry that, that, that meets your needs. And once you're kind of invested that way and you begin giving back, um, you're going to find that that community is going to develop, that sense of belonging is going to develop. So... So that would be my first suggestion. Um, sometimes, though, maybe maybe if you go to the pastor and you know he's very busy, um, or he doesn't necessarily can't necessarily put you in the right spot. There are a lot of other folks in the parish who have a really good understanding of, of what's going on. Maybe there's a young adult ministry that's really strong at your parish. Go to the young adult ministry leader. Um, ask uh, he or she, you know, what can I do? Here, here are my gifts. How can you use me? Um, and that's really really powerful. So. So that would be some, my, my two suggestions. First, you know, take some time in prayer and reflection and figure out what are your gifts. You know, what, what has God kind of called you to? Um, what are your talents? And then from there, you know, go to somebody who, who's in need at the parish and, and ask, ask them if they had any suggestions for you. So, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much the gist of my talk. Um, any thoughts, any questions? Okay. Hogan. Um, I have been through a couple of different uh, companies in my short career. Um, I'm not that old. Uh, so I've worked for Hyatt Hotels, McDonald's Corporation, and also United Airlines, where I currently work. So three pretty big co companies. Um, it's interesting being in smaller companies and larger companies. They feel different. Um, I'm happy to take any questions you have with the Q&A afterwards, but there's three things we're going to cover today. So the first one is um, basically how to network. Then there's going to be tips for your first job. And then after that, we'll have some, some Q&A. So uh, feel free during the presentation if anything comes up. 
feel free to ask. Um, so I'm going to start off with a couple questions. Shout out what you think the answer is. So some are true and false, some are. So it's okay to wear jeans to an interview. No. Oh. no. Yeah, we, we have a lot of false. Okay, this is a little bit of a trick question. It depends what industry you're in. So if you are a tech person, you're going to go to Silicon Valley, you probably can wear jeans. Not jeans with holes in them, but probably nice jeans. Um, if you are a finance major, then you probably should not wear jeans to make a really bad first impression. Um, okay, so let me know if you think this defines work ethic. Getting to work before your boss does, and then waiting to leave work until after your boss leaves. Who says yes? False. False? False. So we got a lot of falses starting over here. Okay, yes, totally false. Um, there are some people that, that uh, are fans of what's called FaceTime, so that means how long you're at work, not how productive you are. You sometimes have to feel that out with your bosses, but for the most part, don't do this. It's just a waste of everybody's time. Um, okay, it's okay to use emojis in an email. False. Okay, we have a lot of falses. I will say that I have used emojis in an email. I use emojis in emails today. It's totally okay, but it depends what emojis <laughs> so the smiling face emoji always great why because in emails your tone may not come across so I may be saying something as simple as like hey thanks for the feedback and put a smiling face so people know I'm not being sarcastic and I truly did appreciate the feedback you're probably not going to want to use like the crazy eye emoji or the beer emoji like don't use those but like the smiling face totally okay Vanessa says you can use these hands. No, don't use this. Yeah, well, maybe. Okay, last one. It's okay to text at work. Okay, okay, great. It depends. So if you're in a meeting with your boss or in a meeting with with some leaders above you, you probably don't want to whip out your phone and text. If you're at your desk and your friend sends you a text message, totally okay, right? And also, you know, sort of depends what industry now. Uh, Rodney is texting at work. It's probably a big no-no, you know? He's, he's busy doing surgery and he gets a text from Vanessa. Yeah, probably not gonna answer that one, so. Okay, so those are just some, some things to think about um, to, you know, sort of break the ice a little bit. Okay, so how to network. Who here likes to network? Oh, wait, wait, one person? Okay, two people. Okay, great, I'm not gonna call on you for my exercise then. Um, okay, who here would call themselves an introvert? Okay, a couple people. Introverts, you find it hard to network. Yes? Hesitant? Hesitant? Yeah, okay. Networking sometimes is not fun. Um, it's not something that most people are born with the ability to do comfortably unless you're like super extroverted, way over here. I'm not a super extrovert. I fall somewhere in, between, in the middle between introvert and extrovert. Um, so it's not easy for me either. So I'm gonna give you some tips on how to network and then we're gonna have a fun role play exercise. Okay, so the first one is to schedule lunch or coffee with someone you'd like to know better. So you're at work or even at school, you can do this too. Um, and there's somebody, either a professor or someone in a different um, group, let's say you're in marketing and there's somebody in finance that you're like, hey, I'd, I'd like to learn more about your job. Go ahead, like schedule a coffee or a lunch date with them. Um, I've done that a lot and it helps you meet other people in the organization. Uh, one of these things that you can do when you meet with this person is ask at the end, is there anybody else you think I should meet? And that way you can meet more very different people across your organization. Sometimes at work you can be in silos. So let's use finance again as an example. Anybody a finance major here? 
now okay so this is totally what what majors do we have so i can use something that's relevant engineering science engineering yeah. computer science okay okay so let's do um computer science here if you're going to have a computer science degree you might not be interacting with tons of people across the company yeah. right so if that's the case networking can really help you meet other people especially when you ask hey is there somebody else you think i should yeah. meet they'll be like oh hey yeah there's somebody that actually went to uvi let me connect you with them and that's how you can meet other people um it's good to have a standard list of questions when you network so you're not caught off guard. Uh, people like to talk about themselves, so you can simply ask a quick question like, hey, you know, what did you do this weekend for fun? That helps break the ice. It's less um, work-focused, so people aren't as tense. And then you can get into other questions like, what do you like most about your job? Or what would you recommend for somebody who's thinking about you know, switching careers or jobs? Um, stay in touch with your coworkers even after you move jobs. So uh, this is super helpful because you never know when you're gonna go back to that, especially if you're a person who stays within their industry. So for example, I still meet regularly with my old coworkers from McDonald's. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get lunch, we text each other, that's super helpful. I don't know if I'll you know, decide to go back to McDonald's, but if I do, I've got connections there. Um, and also pay it forward. So when, when you're young in college, um, it can seem really, the world can seem like a huge oyster, right? So there's a lot that you can do, there's so many people, and you might be reaching out for help a lot. When you start to get in your career, you'll find that people will reach out to you, especially depending on what company you work for, when you switch jobs. Um, pay it forward. If somebody helped you, when somebody reaches out to you for help, help them. So nowadays it's not as easy as you know me picking up my resume and coming over and saying like, hey, um, I really love a job at your company. Do you think you can push my resume through? It normally doesn't work like that, um, but if you know like a hiring manager or somebody that this person can connect with to say, hey, uh, so-and-so wants to learn a little bit more about this role. They're interested in applying but want to talk to somebody that works in that group. And if you can connect them, great. Um, it's just a good thing to do and it will help you going forward. Okay, so let's practice some networking. I'm going to pull Vanessa up here. Vanessa and I are going to network. I don't know Vanessa. Vanessa and I are at a function. We're at a, a work function. And uh, Vanessa's sitting here at the table. She's just finished talking to another colleague. I have just walked into the room. Networking, okay. I'm a little nervous. I don't know anybody. Vanessa's here. You know, maybe she's doing some emails on her phone. She's getting up getting ready to go and get a refill of the wine glass. And so I go, hey, nice to meet you. What's your name? Vanessa. Hey, Vanessa, nice to meet you. Where do you work? Uh, at this place. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, how long have you been here? Um, for about a year and a half. Wow, okay, where'd you come from before that? Um, from, a, from a wine distributor. Okay, and what brought you to this company? Um. This. This, this specific this. company. Yeah. Um, I was looking for uh, career advancement with okay. management into a management track. Okay, great. And so are you finding you like it here? Yes. Okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Which part? The, the, the <laughs> advancement. Oh, career, yeah. okay. Well, it's great. Um, I was with a smaller company before, and it was family-owned. Okay. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me. Um, but now I'm with a multinational company, and there's lots of opportunity to grow within the company, and they're very interested in keeping people within the company instead of letting us leave to find. So a little bit of like a family-owned spirit. Yes. 
Yes. Oh, a dysfunctional okay. family. Okay, yeah. dysfunctional family. Yeah. Okay. So Vanessa, what did you do this weekend? I'm just interested in knowing. I got rid of my car. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a big move. Yeah. And why did you do this? Because I have a free car that my company gives me. So okay. I my lease was up on my old car, so I turned that in and I don't have a car payment anymore for my budget. Oh, that's great. <laughs> okay, so you see, if you just continue to ask these questions, it's great. It's just like getting to know somebody for real. And a good tip is if you're stuck in a conversation, this works for a lot of things, um, and the conversation's kind of dying out. Let's say, you know, I'm talking with Vanessa and she's just giving me one word answers, or she seems like she doesn't know what to say, or maybe there's an awkward silence. There's one of two things to do. So if you know more people at this particular function, and Vanessa's new, I might say, hey, Vanessa, you know what? Let's, what's your name? Oh, Raphael. Okay. Uh, I want you to meet my friend Raphael. He actually just sold oh, his car this weekend. Two yes. guys can bond Great, right? Okay, you could do that too. Or let's say, you know, Vanessa seems like she's really into this conversation and I'm kind of not anymore, right? You can also say something like, you know what, Vanessa, really great talking to you. I'm going to go over here and talk to Bob because I, I just remember I need to ask him a really good question. Or you say, I'm going to go get a drink. Can I get you anything? And then normally, I'll you know, they say, that's okay. That's okay because there's always people around food and the alcohol. So that's a great way to be like, oh, okay. If you start talking in a group, you can just slip out of the group. Or another way is, you know what? I'm going to go to the bathroom. It's great if you're talking to somebody of the opposite sex because they're probably not going to say, I'll come with you. If they do, we've got another problem. <laughs> and one of the things that um, helps helping you remember other people's names because it's always like, okay, I'm nervous. I'm going to meet somebody for the first time. Oh, okay. And then you forget their name and they tell you. Always try to use their name immediately afterwards and then a couple times in the conversation. That way you remember that person's name and that, that person feels good because they're like, oh, okay. So they remember my name was Claire. This is great. Okay, great. Um, we'll I will take any questions about networking after, but um, now I just want to give you some tips for your first job and then we'll take questions <coughs> Q&A. Um, who here has had an internship? Okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Internships are really, 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 really important. Why? Because it gives you work experience. Um, it helps you test out in, in your major if this is what you want to do. And it also gets you contacts. So people that work in that company that can either suggest other internships can um, help you connect with other people and then also, it's just a really great way to build your resume. So you don't want to ever go into your first job after you graduate college not having any experience at all, any internships. It doesn't look great. You won't get as much money. Um, please, please, please do an internship. If you haven't already, please do one. Um, don't be afraid to negotiate your salary. So a lot of times when people are first getting into their job, they think that they can't negotiate. Ladies, this is very especially important for you because what you start out with your base salary, that's what's going to carry you through the rest of your career. So if you start out at $50,000 and your male coworker starts out at 75 and you have the same experience, you will always be have that gap and that gap will grow. So don't be afraid to negotiate your salary. Don't just ask for more money, but give some reasons why you think you deserve more money. So for example, you went on Glassdoor. Everybody know what Glassdoor is? Okay, so Glassdoor is a website where you can go on and see some salaries. So if you see people with similar experience, um, they'll give you a range of what the salary should be. If you've had an internship or um, an externship or something that you think qualifies you more, ask for it. The only thing that they can say is no. 
you're not not going to get a job because you asked for more money. So just do it, but don't ask for like $25,000 more. That's gonna be a little unrealistic. So again, use Glassdoor for some parameters. Um, find a mentor. So how many people have a mentor here at school? Nobody, okay, some people, great. Okay, so mentors are a little tricky. Some companies have mentor programs where they'll place you with somebody. Uh, sometimes that can be really awkward. I have found it best in my personal experience to find a mentor organically. So that means that there's somebody who is maybe one or two um, levels above me that I have interacted with and um, I respect and I think they would make a good mentor, give me some good advice. So I would reach out to that person and say, hey, can we set up some regular meetings? Maybe once a month for a half an hour. The higher up you go, the more busy people are. So they might only have 15 minutes for you. If that's 15 minutes, it's still great. Um, so find a mentor for yourself. Um, network, network, network. Super important. Sometimes it's awkward and you don't like to do it, but network. Uh, with those tips that I told you before, you know, even the simple thing like launch your coffee. Um, ask for feedback on a regular basis. So feedback is something that can be scary, especially if it's negative feedback or constructive criticism. Um, ask for it after you give a presentation, after you hand in um, a deck that you've been working on or something you've compiled. Uh, ask for feedback. Say, how did I do? What can I do better? Um, that immediate feedback will show that you want to be a better employee and you're really driven and working hard. And it also helps um, just you, you get better. Um, and then lastly, this kind of goes on what Becca was saying, but please start referral 1K ASAP. So when you get a job, put away a chunk of money to save. The, the uh, more you save and the sooner you save, the more money you'll have at retirement. So when you get a new job, it can be really tempting to say, wow, oh, I've never had this much money in my life. I'm gonna go and buy all this stuff. Don't do it, it's not worth it. Save some money, put it all in your 401K as soon as you can. Um, super big proponent of that. Okay, so having said all of that stuff, any questions you guys want to ask me about, uh, I've been in corporate jobs, but really about anything, your first, your first jobs, networking, resumes, any questions you have? It's like the resume part. Because yeah. for, for me, because I'm a computer science major, mm -hmm. and so how in depth am I supposed to go into my, like, with my work experience kind of thing? Or like, or, or what are like considered projects or like, because I, because I was under the impression that school projects are projects technically, but the thing is they're related to school. Are like are like projects? Are like are, do they when pro do they see projects like they mean like oh I did this on my own kind of thing? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So when you're first starting out and you look for your first job, obviously your resume is going to be more heavy on your the I would say like school experience you have, and less heavy on real jobs so to speak. So for this. One of the things that's great to do is to highlight certain projects that you've done. So let's say you're going for a company that specializes in, uh, I don't know, I'm just gonna make this up, I don't know, cloud computing. So with that, let's say you've done some projects on that, you wanna highlight those on your resume. So um, it can be under your work experience or it can be, uh, you can just create another section that says class experience and throw that underneath. Okay. So as you grow, um, you'll want to then flip, so you'll probably start your resumes with your education first and your work experience Next, as you get more work experience, you'll flip it. So your education, the school you went to, becomes less important, and what you've done, um, and what company you've worked at, will become more important. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, because like, currently I work on campus, kind of thing, and I've been there for like a whole, almost a whole year. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, no, a whole year now. 
but like, so once I, like, do I, because the thing is, it's work related. So, I don't know how to say this, because like, the thing is that I'm working on is like, it only, I don't know how to describe what I'm, my projects at work, would my projects at work count as like projects I done? That's, no. that's fine, yeah, they okay. totally do, that, okay. that's fine. So in college, I, so my background is um, nothing what I'm doing now. I have a hotel management degree and a psychology degree. Mm -hmm. So I'm clearly not using any of those. Um, but I worked in my psychology professor's lab uh, for a couple years, and that was a work experience, but also had some projects that have to do with my uh, degree. Yeah. So totally yeah. fine to put those down as like a project experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't sure, because I was, yeah. like, looking through my resume, and, like, I was also looking through internships, too, and I was like, okay, well, they're, like, looking for projects, so I don't know what project. Tom says a project. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yes? Let's say, hypothetically, you do, like, you have a bunch of experiences, like, while you're going through school, and, yeah, just pretty much school, like, undergrad, grad, you get a bunch of, like, random part-time jobs, so by the time you actually go to apply to a job, you have about eight different places you worked at, and then you're really involved with your community, so you have all this service at different parishes and stuff like that and they're just asking for like a resume so you want to show that you've done something but what are you able to focus on so you don't have like eight part-time jobs like five different community service things and it's like a three-page yeah great so the community service obviously you can consolidate all in one portion for the jobs um, there's a couple things that you can do so a lot of employers will ask yeah, if, for gaps between employment. So if you've got you know a couple jobs here and there, um, they'll say why why weren't you working between here and here? Um, for those, it's easy to explain if they were summer jobs. So I wouldn't worry about that. What I would do though, depending on what position you're applying for, is only put the jobs on there, like out of those eight jobs that you think are applicable to this one you're applying to, or skills from those that you've learned that would apply to this new job. You don't have to put everything on there. Um, I didn't put everything on my resume when I was first starting out too. Yeah. Just put the ones that are uh, applicable to this or skills or knowledge that transfer. Other questions? Yes. Thanks for a great talk. Uh, great. Okay. Uh, so uh, my question is about networking. Mm -hmm. So like you know, like getting to know someone who is who could be a colleague, you know is very much easier scheduling appointment or yep. say tea coffee with them is easier but let's just say you know a hypothetical situation i am someone who works for amazon and i'm a software engineer and let's just say there's a vendors meet you know or a conference mm -hmm. and uh, i go there and i know that okay this is the person who works at caterpillar but you know at a higher position now one or two years down the line when i'm changing jobs or when i'm thinking of changing jobs he could really be a good, you know, like Absolutely. way into the yep. company. But I can't, you know, really schedule a lunch or breakfast, coffee with him, you know, something to slide into his contacts. You know? Yes. Like, and also, like, if slide into his DM. This question, question. <laughs> <laughs> if you could, you know, uh, give like a demonstration yeah. like, while you're talking. So one of the things I would recommend for that, so if you've met the person, oftentimes they might exchange business cards. Some people will still have physical business cards, other people are doing digital business cards. Um, you could have a business card, you can cold call if you want or send an email that way. If you don't have anything, find them on LinkedIn. Who's on LinkedIn here? Okay, you should all be on LinkedIn. You should all be looking at LinkedIn either every day or maybe once a week, just depending on where you are. Um, interact with posts. 
like things, follow companies, follow companies that you're interested in, in, um, in joining. And so for this, you could find that person on LinkedIn, send them a message. And so if they don't reply, you can see uh, sometimes their contacts or people, other people from that company. You might be able to find somebody who reports to that person, send them an email, and, and try doing that. So um, for you, you should all have your LinkedIn toggled to let um, recruiters reach out to you. Because this way now you know like, hey, they can look at your resume, they can see everything that you've done, and if they are looking for people, boom, easy way. Could Other questions? Give, could you give like a demonstration? You know, I can like, give you a perfect example. So I was just at a conference, a doctor conference, right? There's a couple people that I really wanted to meet. And every time I met them, we were like passing, and I had to go somewhere, they had to go somewhere. So we exchanged business cards. And then I, I said, hey, I really want to meet you, but I don't have time right now. Mm -hmm. So, And I did get back to him at the conference. So then I just did a follow-up email when I got home. I said, hey, it was nice introducing you. And then I just started a conversation through email that way. And so I created that relationship. He knows my face. Mm -hmm. I know his face. We have information. And so I got his information. And now we've created that relationship. So even though we're in two parts of the country, we had that quick interaction. I gave off my business card and then followed up on it. Yeah. So for your example, you could say something like, let's say his name is John Smith. Be like, um, hi, John Smith. Um, we met a couple years ago at this conference. I work for Amazon Web Services, and um, I'm interested in making my next career move. You could be totally transparent about this. And you say, I've worked on these projects, these projects, these projects. Is there anybody in your company you think I, I could meet with or potentially talk with um, to learn a bit more about working at Caterpillar? So, so, so you should be transparent with, with what you're looking for because uh, they'll be able to see right through it. They're like, okay, he's looking for a job. So just say, you know, I'm interested in joining your company. Maybe here's why. Here's some, some of the things I might be able to offer you. Um, but most people, if you reach out to them, unless they're like super busy, they'll get back to you. Yes. Um, LinkedIn has these really easy replies where there is no punctuation. I don't really like it. So sometimes you have someone celebrating a five-year work anniversary. It says congrats, but there's no punctuation. So sounds a little sarcastic, like, mm, congrats. Um, but they've got those replies where they might just say, like, okay, great. Or they'll say, hey, set up an appointment with my assistant or something. So try something like that. That, that brings me to another question. Okay. Now, what if, you know, it's someone who I want to build a network with gradually, you know? So if, if, if you know, like I meet him at a conference mm -hmm. and after a year I shoot him an email, he probably won't even remember right. me, right? exactly. So, but before that, like, when I'm thinking, you know, like one year down the line or two years down the line, that I want to change my job. And I want to really, you know, get in, get to know this person or get for him to know me, you mm -hmm. know, build a good network with him. So, you know, via mail, you know, what could be like the possible topics or... Yeah, you know, so if you met face-to-face -face in person, try to, try to remember something about them. So if you ask that personal question, like, what did you do this weekend? Or you know anything personal about them, you can always ask, like, Hey, how's your dog doing? Or you know something like that within an email, which sounds like a little uh, less formal. That's fine. Um, another thing you can do is so I wouldn't recommend just being reaching out and being like, Hey, how's your dog doing? For example, like if there's a, a good work-related article, be like, Hey, I saw this. Like, what do you think about this? This article reminds me of the conversation we have. And if you keep up a regular correspondence, like reach out every month, that's much better than like. Uh, launching and leaving, right? So you, you have a message and then you don't come back for another six months, it's yeah. gonna look weird. Yeah. So try to like nurture those relationships. 
Um, all relationships take a lot of time and effort, and it's really important at work to continue to nurture those relationships as well. So like I said, um, continue those relationships with your coworkers. Reach out to them often. Uh, when you work in a job, a different job than your old coworkers, it takes obviously much more effort and you won't reach out every month, but as long as you stay connected, you have a, a stronger bond. So um, don't be afraid to do something every month. You might not have an article, but let's say they haven't responded. You can always ping them back and say like, hey, um, you know, like, did you get a chance to read the article? I thought it was really interesting. Here's what stuck out to me the most. What do you think? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, take one more question. One more question. Okay, so I just want to leave you with um, two parting thoughts. The first one's pave your own way. So no one's going to do it for you. Uh, you have to be very intentional. So I love what you were saying. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Pratish. Pratish? Yeah. Okay. Um, you seem like you have a lot of initiative and like motive, and that's great. And employers love to see that. Um, don't lose that. Keep it going, even when you have been in a job for a couple years. So pave your own way. Make your own path. No one's going to do it for you. And then every day is an interview. So when you start a job, you are always interviewing for your next job at that company because people that you work with and that are around you will see you, see how you act, and may say, like, hey, I've got a role opening. Like, I really like how um, my interaction with Emmy, she seemed like she was on the ball, everything was great, so I'm going to go ahead and, like, you know, tap her on the shoulder and be like, hey, I think you should apply for this new job. Um, so every day is an interview. Please don't forget that. Um, thank you. I will turn it back to Becca. So to close it out. So hopefully this is helpful in terms of getting some skills so we can all adult better. Um, yeah, if you guys have any other lingering questions and want to talk to any of our panelists, we'll probably hang around for a few more minutes. But otherwise, thanks for coming and Godspeed on adulting. <laughs>